Now, I don't have any announcements to make tonight, so we'll get right into the Scripture. And what I do when we're going to observe the Lord's Supper is I try to cut it back a little bit because of the time of the service, so I'm going to try to do that. In these two verses, in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians there, verse 16 and verse 17, and like I was saying earlier, I used to read this every time we had observed the Lord's Supper, and I don't do that anymore. As a matter of fact, I started reading the church covenant when we had the Lord's Supper. So I want to use these as a text tonight. Verse 16 says this, The cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ and the bread which we break? Is it not communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we all we are all partakers of that one bread. Now, what I had chosen to bring to your attention here is the statement that's made in verse 16, which says this, that uh, uh, it, the cup of blessings which we bless, is it not communion, communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not communion of the body of Christ and of course uh, we oftentimes consider this worship service that we're about to participate in after a while as communion we call it the Lord's Supper and sometimes you hear people talk about communion so it is that word that is interesting that's used in the in the scriptures and I want to make some comments about that now the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of several things. It is one, commemorative, because the Bible says, this do in remembrance of me. So it's commemorative, and it is the great fact that he died, and when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are participating because we know he died for us. We know that the very first qualification for taking the Lord's Supper is that it, it, needs, it must be a saved person. It must be a person who has made a profession of their faith. Secondly, it's declarative because the Bible says we do show forth his death until he comes. And it's interesting, I looked that word show up in the original language. And it means to declare or announce and it is actually translated preach ten times in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it is translated preach more than any of the other words that are used in the New Testament. So it's an opportunity to glare. It's declarative. And then, as I've shared with you, it is also an act of communion. An act of communion. Now this word, by its own uh, force and scriptural use always indicates that it's more than one more than one person more than one and i think that's important to understand that in matthew chapter 26 and verse 27 jesus said when he was instituting the lord's supper he said drink ye all of it drink ye all of it now that can only be one of two things 
it can it can either mean that we're to, that they were to drink all of uh, the representation of his blood, they were to drink all of the wine, or it could mean that every single one of them was to drink it. And of course, there's no reason for us to believe that there's any legitimate reason why they needed to drink every single drop of that. And so we believe that it means that every one of them were to drink of it. Uh, and so uh, it was necessary for each one of them to participate individually in that. And uh, the point is, of course, that we do not take the Lord's Supper all by ourselves. Uh, I never thought of that until I was thinking about this point here, uh, how you could do that. And of course, there are people who they try to do about everything that there is you can imagine related to the instructions given us in the, in the Bible. But it says in there, we being many. So it is something that we being many are to participate in. It is one bread and one body. And it means that it is a local church ordinance. We believe that very firmly. It's not an ordinance for the community. Not an ordinance for... Uh, I've, I've known of the Lord's Supper and they actually weren't observing the Lord's Supper in settings that were not even the church at all. And you'll run into that every once in a while. And certainly it is a wrong way uh, to participate in that. So who were they... This one body that is set forth here in these verses of Scripture. Uh, certainly it was not all of uh, Christ's disciples. They were not all there when the Lord's Supper was instituted. Uh, there were several that were missing. We could go through a list of them that were missing. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, uh, they were not there. Uh, even Christ's own mother was not there. I'm sure the Romanist church would uh, not like to hear me say that because of their belief related uh, to Mary. They believe that she uh, is the co-redeemer with Christ. And they believe some awful things about that. They believe she was the mother of God. They believe she was perpetually a virgin. Uh, all kinds of things that they believe. They actually worship Mary. They really do. As a matter of fact, there's a name that is given to it. They call it Mariolatry. It is idolatry, plain and simple. And so these were people that were missing from this when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. The only ones that were there, of course, were the apostles. They were all present. All 12 of them were there. And here's why this is important that we understand that is because when we look in the New Testament, when Jesus established His church, He did not establish His church on the day of Pentecost, as some believe and teach. He established His church in the New Testament and called the members of it by name. And so it were the, it were the apostles that were uh, uh, become the church, become the local uh, church. And so these were the ones that were present there. And of course that sets forth a principle that governs us when we uh, practice the Lord's Supper. It is for the church. It is for the church. Now this word communion, uh, and it, it, the Greek word is koinonia, 
koinonia, and it is, uh, is a word that uh, means, uh, one meaning of it is fellowship, and it's uh, in, uh, translated in the Bible as that. I'll share with you not only in this passage, but a couple more where it's used in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, we find it used. And it says there, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath the righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. And so we learn something about the use of that word from that passage of Scripture. What communion hath light with darkness? And the answer to that is none. There is no communion, actual communion, uh, that is involved in that. And then in chapter 13 of that same book, 2 Corinthians, and verse number 14, where it says this, um, the last verse of that chapter, by the way, and the last verse of the book, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So we learn something there related to our experience with the Holy Spirit in our life. It is a communion. It is a sharing with the Holy Spirit that which we have in common with His will and His purpose for our lives. It's like saying being one with. Being one uh, with along those ways. So it's translated, of course, fellowship 14 times in the New Testament. And we talk about fellowship. We have fellowship together. Uh, and w when we say we are in fellowship, in fellowship with the church, we're one with the church. Uh, we use that terminology talking about uh, our walk with Christ. People talk about being in fellowship with the Lord. And have you ever been out of fellowship with the Lord? It's very possible for the Christian to be out of fellowship with the Lord, out of His will in our life, which is a bad thing. We don't ever want that to be because if we really are saved, guess what's going to happen? We will be back in fellowship with Him and the reason we will be is because, no, you're not, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not owned by yourself. If you're saved tonight, you're owned by the Lord. We are His, and certainly He is sovereign and can do as He will uh, with us. So this word fellowship being used so many times in the New Testament teaches something about what that word communion means. And it, of course, means being uh, one with. And uh, so it is that which we share in common is one of the definitions of the word uh, fellowship. And it's interesting, um, I think, that I can remember where it is. It's in the book of uh, James, I believe. And uh, there's some interesting words that are said there, um, well, maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, maybe it's uh, in First John uh, where he says, oh yes, it is. I'll start reading in chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Talking about Jesus Christ and, of course, John's interaction with him. And he says in verse 2, For the life was manifest, and, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and manifest or made known unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. See, our fellowship with each other uh, does not exclude our walk with Christ. You know, see, if, if you walk with Christ, if you love the Lord, and He saved your unworthy soul, you and I can have fellowship. And our fellowship is based on that. And that's what John is talking about. Our communion with one another is based on that. And he says, uh, with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. How many of you know by your own personal experience that your interaction with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in other words, your fellowship with your fellow believers, <coughs> is uh, one of the joys of our Christian walk. It is for me, and I say this every once in a while, that I love being with you all. I really do. I love being with you. And every single week of my life, I look forward to the Lord's Day coming when I can share with you, talk with you, uh, share with you uh, things related to our walk with Christ and our relationship with Him. And that's part of our fellowship. That's our fellowship with each other. That's actually our communion with each other. That's what it's, uh, what it's talking about there. And so it is a word that means that which we share in common. I know a lot of people that I don't share in common what I share with you. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who claim to be Christians and I don't necessarily share in common with them. I really, really don't. Uh, and it's not my fault. It's not being judgmental or anything like that. It's just that we don't walk together. We don't see things the same way. And so uh, our fellowship with each other has many other things uh, that uh, play into that. You know, uh, we, we have fellowship and communion with each other because most of us believe the same important truths that are taught in the Bible. We believe that. And oftentimes, uh, I have said over the years now, I'm preaching this point and I'm telling you this is what I believe. I don't believe it's a matter that would cause us to break fellowship. You know, break fellowship. There are some things that wouldn't, but there are things that would. Uh, I'm not going to be supportive of something that I know for sure is critical and not taught in the Scripture. And that's the way we ought to be. We ought to stand strong on what we know is true, what we believe is true, what the Bible is clear about, what it teaches. So this is something of what communion means. Communion and fellowship coming from the same exact word. And so by us uh, uh, identifying how that, how that word is used in our personal relationship with one another, we 
can learn what it means to have communion as far as the blood of Christ is concerned, and we can have communion as far as the body of the Lord is concerned. So, how do I achieve that? How do I achieve that communion? And I speaking personally of my own view of that, I want to achieve that. I want to I want that to be a part of my experience when when I observe this ordinance with you tonight. And I think that we achieve it by by participating in that. I'm saying to all of you uh, who are here tonight that I believe that the Lord gave Himself, He gave His life, He gave His body that was broken, was pierced. Uh, He suffered on the cross of Calvary and He took upon Himself the penalty of my sin. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, Lord, I believe that. I believe that. And by participating in this ordinance, I am demonstrating my belief. If I did not believe that, I would not want to participate uh, in this ordinance. And that's one of, the, one of the benefits of the ordinance and reason for the ordinance is that we actually say something to the Lord. We say, Lord, I know you died for me. I knew you gave your, shed your blood and you gave, gave your body and your suffering for me personally. And so by my participation, I think that's one of the ways that I am able to have communion with his body and communion with his blood. And by participating, I'm saying to all of you that this is my personal testimony before you. And not only I'm saying it now, but in a little while, I will demonstrate that to you. And if you are looking at me when I'm taking part in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper tonight, I will be saying that to all of you and anyone else who would take interest in what I'm doing. So it's my personal testimony of my experience. And then lastly, I will say this. I'm also saying to you that this is an ordinance that is given us that culminates itself in, in worship, actual worship. And I've said this to you lots of times, and I really do believe it. I believe the high point of our worship experience as a church is set forth when we observe the Lord's Supper together. I believe that. I believe that is the ultimate worship experience that we have because he told us to do it and he told us to do it in remembrance of him and by obeying his words we are leaving our personal testimony to others related to that so the question did come to me how do I achieve that how do I achieve communion with in the body of Christ and communion in the blood of Christ And I believe that's how I do it. And I believe that's what we'll be doing together here uh, in a little while. Father, we thank and praise you for this passage of Scripture and how it brings this word communion to our thoughts and to our attention. Now, Father, we're going to be singing a closing number to this part of our service tonight. And we ask, Lord, that you'd have your will and way in our lives And Father, maybe as we're bowed together, we may be committing ourselves afresh to follow you as faithfully as we know how. Father, you put a desire in our heart, and that desire is to please you. 
We don't want to displease you. We want to please you in all things. And we know that that's not something that comes from us, but it's something that the sweet Holy Spirit has produced in our lives. So, Lord, lead us as we sing this closing number. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.